When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a crowd podcast. If you don't like blood, don't come. It's going to be big. This is going to be good. What are the biggest changes, the biggest rocks you've seen? I've never seen anything like it. What's your favourite part, Frank, of being a promoter? I mean, there's a lot of podcasts around at the moment. Some of them are a bit iffy, but this is a very good podcast. Let's get on with it. I'm George. He's Deck. Hello. It's the George Groves Boxing Club. Good morning, Zdeck. How are you? I'm good, George. How are you? I've got a bit of Percy Pigs yeah, in my same. teeth right now. <laughs> Do you know why we got Percy Pigs? We splashed out, ain't we? It's because we're back on the road. We're on the road. We're back on the road. We're out of the studio. We are hit the road, which we only do for certain people. Big hitters. Big hitters. We've got the biggest hitter of all. I'll tell you where I am today. Go on. Somewhere I've been before. It's Have you? the Queensbury offices. Yeah. Somewhere. Very mysterious. We're in the boardroom, like The Apprentice. <laughs> It's pretty cool. Someone's getting fired. Yeah. <laughs> There's lots of, lots of cool memorabilia in yeah, this room. There is. I'm looking right now. Cassius Clay, the greats. We've got Muhammad Ali's robe. What else we got? Joe Fraser, George Foreman picture. Got Ali Shavers. There's some handprints on the wall. There's handprints. Yeah. One of yours? Of course, yeah. It's, it's Ali, George Foreman, Joe Fraser, and George Groves in the... Um, <laughs> In, in the copper box. There's <laughs> a massive bottle of champagne. This is proper, isn't it? And we were saying before, George, if you could nick one thing. Actually, don't in case you actually yeah, do. Yeah, don't. If, if it evidence. goes missing, yeah. But there's trophies. There's no, lots of awards. The, is that the original Marcus of Queensbury belt? This is some boardroom, isn't it? And whose face did you see as you walked in, Dick? Yours. Yep. George Groves. You looked about 12. Across from James DeGale, of course, promoted by Frank Warren. Frank Warren, who's on the show there's today. A, there was a statue of Prince Nazim Hamid as well, wearing a cowboy hat. Do you know? That. It says to Frank, we're on the greatest promoter on the on the planet. I used to come up here and do press conferences and stuff. And obviously, you used to come up here and do actual work. Yeah, I've done a press conference deals. for. I'm sure I did a press conference here for Kenny Anderson. Yeah, defo. But I, I've been here anyway through my stint under the sports network. Are we or 10, Frank 15 Warren years? Or Queensbury banner. I can't remember. Box Nation. And on Box Nation, mm. yeah. And some years down the line, we're here now to pick his brains about being a promoter. Nearly 50 years in promotion. I feel like we're going to learn some things. Though. I hope we will. Yeah. And get some tips on how to promote the show. Yeah. Should we get him in? Let's get him Should in. Should we finally get Frank Warren in? Let's do it. Today, Deck, yes. we have a master marketeer in the club. It's fair to say this man is quite the entrepreneur. He's been a manager, promoter, business owner, and he's even found his own television channel. It is, of course, the legendary Frank Warren. Frank, thanks for coming in today, mate. Welcome to the show. Thanks for joining the club. Lovely. Thanks, George. It's been a long time. And Dex, there's been really been waiting, uh, was it quite a few months? Yeah, well, we, it's we, my fault. I've been out of action. Yeah, we thought we, you were ducking us, Frank. But <laughs> no, I've never ducked. But we, no, we no. were thinking, so when we first started the pod, we made a list and you were on the initial list, of course. And we finally, after months and months, we're here in your lovely office as well with a nice backdrop with all your nice memorabilia and the first I said this, you know when you walk in the door there's a big all the posters the first yeah. picture I saw was George before he boxed James the girl it's up there pride of place that was 2011 2011 Jeez. we'll get on to that what we're going to do in, for, in part one Frank is we're going to look at promoter 101 so what it takes to be a promote but not just any promoter one or two fights but 
promoter of longevity. So nearly 50 years of promoting. Do you ever sort of sit there and think, how have I managed to do nearly 50 years in this game? No, I never think about it. I just take each day as it comes. I mean, I got into it purely by accident in the first place. Um, but having said that, I think it's just, uh, what does it? I think it's like the same as anybody successful in any business or any successful boxer like George. You've got to have a bit of self-belief. You've got to have some determination. You've got to have a bit of vision. You know, I've been lucky enough to call it right sometimes. So did your, your life in boxing start with promoting, Frank? I was lucky when I was younger. I had um, a couple of businesses. I when they, If you remember, you won't remember it, but when the pool tables first came into this country, I had a business that was putting them into a lot of pubs and clubs and, and machines I had in there. And I had a couple of nightclubs. So I was about 23 at the time. And, I, you know, we was doing okay. My cousin, Johnny Wall, he was uh, light heavyweight. He, he turned pro the same time as John Conti. And they were both together with George Francis. He went on to win the Southern area. And he was a really good fighter. But unfortunately, he didn't have dedication because I always be out, obviously had the clubs and that and I'd be out and about and he'd be out and about and he shouldn't have been. It was a shame really because as I say, he was a very, very good fighter and that's how I sort of got really into it because I just go and watch him fight and watch other fighters. Another fighter work worked for me back then was a guy called Johnny Cheshire who was a good little fighter from Scotland. He came down. So we used to go and watch him fight and we sponsored them in those days. But when I say sponsored them, you couldn't put any advertising on the shorts because BBC or, and that was only BBC who was showing any boxing back then, wouldn't allow it. Johnny was my cousin on my, my uncle was married to Kathy and it's on her side of the family and also was Lenny McLean. We grew up around the same time. He was older than me. He wound up working on, a, I don't know, a door of a club or whatever and he got to fight a guy called Roy Shaw who was the king of the unlicensed boxers back then. And that's how that came about. And they were, they were going to fight Lenny. Then they, he made the challenge and they fought. And I went and watched him. Went with my uncle, Bob, and we watched it. And the, um, in a place called Sinatra's in Croydon, which was spelt with a C. It was just, <laughs> he came out, Lenny. He, he caught Roy Shaw and his legs went. And then he just leaned back on the ropes and put his arms up on them in the corner and just pointed at his chin and went, go on then. And Roy Shaw must have hit him about 40 times and he just slid down the ropes. So <laughs> that was it. And, and there's you know, there a load of ex-fighters in this thing. Like Roy Shaw was an ex-fighter. He'd been managed by Mickey Duff mm. earlier on. I mean, you know, he was an older guy. Then he was a y younger fella. Then we went up to the dressing room. My uncle gave him a real bollocking and said, you know, what, what, what planet are you on? What are you doing letting someone yeah, tee off just on your give chin. you a free hit? I mean, what's that all about? And uh, anyway, he got a bollocking. And then about six months later, he came and said, they're going to do it again. So I thought, what's the point of having a rematch? You just go, you know, and he never trained an inch. And uh, this time, um, John was, my other cousin, he was being trained by um, Freddie Hill over at Lavender Hill. And he trained him for the fight, but he obviously couldn't get in the corner because he was a border control license holder. I'm not telling stories out of school now because he's passed away. <laughs> so he he, um, he trained him and he trained properly. He ran and whatever. Anyway, we they did the fight, same place again. There's a couple of days or about three days before the fight. Lenny told my uncle, he said, look, they told me if I win this fight, I'm going to have a problem. So on that night, his cornerman was my Uncle Bob and me and Johnny Wall. And um, Bell went, Lenny came out, he caught him a couple of times. He went over, the referee counted up to about 20, and then they rang the bell, came back out again, and, Len and Lenny hit him, and he took off, and his foot feet got caught under the second rope, and then he flipped outside the ring. I've never seen anything like it. You know, the reason we got out, because I, I had a bet with the people who were with Roy Shaw. So then uh, a few more months later went on, and they wanted to have a, the rubber match. I don't know how we got involved in this. Suddenly we're involved 
doing, you know, talking on behalf of Lenny and sort of trying to sort the money out and that. Whatever. And they, they said, we're paying, and we never knew whatever got paid anyway, because mm. he'd done his own deal. And uh, when they come out with the money, I'm sort of like, look, I said, how much? It was like, it was like a thousand pounds or something like that. I said, he's not doing that. I said, you know, he paid a man proper money. He's beating you now. You know, that's, you know, that's all it is now. So my uncle sort of looks at me because I'm not supposed to be, you know, he's doing all the talking. He give me a look. Then they started getting, you know, well, that's how it's going to be and all that sort of stuff. So I've sort of bit it and I said, well, it ain't going to be like that at all. I said, because we, we'll promote someone else with him. He's just beating you. See ya. Anyway, we go out and the eye, I said, what did you say that for? I said, I don't know. I said, I couldn't, I couldn't stand <laughs> them pricks. And that's what happened. So now what we're going to do, so now we've got to find someone to fight Lenny. We've got to find a venue. How old are you at this point, sorry, Frank? I was 24. So we go back to um, go back to the office. Like we had an office because obviously we all had business and that. Well, go back to the office, sit down, and I said to him, uh, where are we going to go? You know, we've got to find somewhere. Now, we can't go to Wembley. We can't go to them because they will not hire it. Couldn't go to your call even. A friend of mine owned the Rainbow Theatre, which is, you know, was the old Finsbury Park Astoria, which was a big music venue back then. And so I went in there and we'd done, I'd done a deal with him. Booked the thing and he fights a guy called Solly Francis from Ilford. He worked at the Room at the Top, which was a club in Ilford. I don't know how to come back. And, it, and, it was, and what it was was that his friends or his, you know, the people who he was involved with, they wouldn't have a bet. I mean, yeah, I'll have some of that. You know, I've, I've, you know we're back backhand man, and uh, I can't remember what the bet was. I think but it totaled up something like about forty thousand pounds, which was a lot of money. There, I mean, fighters were fighting for British titles for two and a half grand with Mickey Duff and them back then. Yeah. So the anyway, so get the fight on this. Sully Francis, I mean, he didn't last. Yeah, only lasted a couple of minutes, and then he done the business mm. on the night just before the fight. Someone said, where are the gloves? And we never had any gloves. <laughs> so Ernie Fossey, late Ernie Fossey, who's my matchmaker, one of my best friends in boxing, you know, who I grew up in boxing with and he learned, you know, very knowledgeable. Somebody phoned him and he came down with his big bag of boxing gloves, old suitcase, a load of old gloves and whatever in it, and it rescued them. <laughs> wow. <laughs> there were no gloves. So that was that. Anyway, done it. And then next minute we got the fight, we got the, the fight on with Roy Shaw. It really took flight by then. And I think around that time, Mickey Duff and the team were doing their shows. They had a few shows on, which were pretty awful. They were pretty one-sided cards and there was a lot of negativity about them. Suddenly, we're selling these out. We could have sold it over twice over. And I remember um, a bloke called Mike Murphy was at uh, Thames Television. He used to do the sport. You know, the, they do the news, then do the sports news. And he rang me and he said, and he, he said, we want to do an interview. So I said, yeah, right. And I've never done a TV interview in my life. And they assumed this was all bare knuckles. Right, yeah. Because they just got it in their head. Because you forgot the gloves. And it wasn't. Yeah. No, it was a big thing. <laughs> and I said to him, if you don't like blood, don't come. All the papers picked up on it. It's just a lot of nonsense. It's something we sold the thing out. So I'd done a couple more of them. And then I was looking. I think these, some of these guys shouldn't be fighting. Because I didn't know any different. Started doing a couple of fights without it. Without Lenny involved, because you know, because then we we signed a couple of amateurs up, young youngsters up, and we formed an association called the National Boxing Council. We had uh, Sir John Thurston, Sir Gavin Thurston, who was the chief coroner of London. He was his son was a doctor. He became a, a medical officer, and so we've done it all properly. We start, and there was no brace, spring, uh, no MRIs back then. It used to be a skull X-ray and things like that. So we started doing all that. We did out all the sort of all the old guys and whatever, and started. You know, we're doing all right with it, and. Um, we then sent somebody over to, who's going to join the WBA because the Board of Control didn't recognize the WBA back then. They only recognized the WBC. There was no IBF. There was no WBO. And uh, they sent out uh, Lord Moynihan, Colin Moynihan, who was on, then was a steward on the board to 
tell them not to be affiliated with us. And then the board became affiliated to the WBA to block us. Yeah, we've done a few more shows. Then I got an, I got a um, an invite to take a license out. I went up before the board and uh, see them, and it was already eyed that I'd get the license, and that's what happened. So, how did you see that, Frank? Was that them throwing in the towel? Do you think yeah. they didn't want the competition anymore? I think they probably wanted me in the tent rather than outside. I, I was very young at the time, obviously, and I was like, because I've always been, you know, if I put me blinkers on, I'll what by hook or by crook, I try and make it happen, and I won't be deviated about it. And what I really did enjoy about it, and I, the enjoyment was was the, was the bullying of it, like the cartel with the venues. You can't have the venue sites so a think creatively what I do like we'd you know we'd, we'd done circus tents and things like that because there was no big venues Bloomsbury Crest Hotel held about 1500 people which is not ideal but that's the biggest we could get and we started putting shows on there and we put them on regularly regularly putting shows on then BBC I couldn't get you know couldn't even get in the door with a BBC or anything and ITV were not interested in domestic boxing they brought a lot of stuff in from overseas which they showed on a delayed basis but there was no domestic and then uh I was you know speaking to ITV and uh simultaneously Joe Bugner got in touch with me he'd, he'd gone off the scene and he I think he had the fight is after his obviously it was after his fight with Ali and Frazier he called me and we brought him back and everybody's saying what are you bringing him back for because he weren't really liked by the public because he beat Henry Cooper didn't he so uh, <laughs> no one liked that and we brought him back and at the airport the press was unbelievable I didn't expect anybody to be there but there's loads of press here and I knew then this is going to work you know we're going to do this and that's what we did so was that what it would have been like at that time press being interested in someone that meant success what would you identify as like well, that, this is going to work then I mean first of all the press wouldn't give us any press because they were terrified they'd get blown out by Mickey Duff and they were terrified I mean you know if you're not if you're going to you know if we got all the heavyweights and you're coming to us and we're blanking you and you can't go back with anything that ain't good for you and I understood how it was but it weren't healthy and it certainly wasn't good for me so we you know we had to be creative or I had to be creative and work out how I could do you know do things press. I had a nightclub at the time in the barbecue with Frank McClintock the old Arsenal captain and I were partners so I'd bring him down entertain them and you know just get it going and uh, cut a long story short it, um, a few of them came and broke ranks like Reg Guthridge Nick Pitt wouldn't stand for no nonsense and Ken Jones he actually invited me to the boxing writers and he, he got ostracised over it I mean it was just like that it was, it was what it was they had the venues the exclusive on the venues they had everything they had the exclusive TV and eventually I got ITV involved we brought Bugner back and it was it was huge he fought Winston Allen and Winston Allen walked out and he, he headbutted him and Joe's Joe's like gone back to the corner he's holding his big cut and Harry Gibbs the late Harry Gibbs who was a great referee he was the referee he's giving him a bollocking in the corner and Joe walked out and he threw the most perfect right hand you ever see and just poleaxed him so then suddenly I've got all of ITV involved then we start doing Saturday night shows because these were all on Wednesday and so I want to do advertising on the corners on the corner post on the thing you know we were trying to like football do it and everybody and I know it can't be did and then we started getting the advertising on and then we got um, a ring card girls and, and from the shows that I was doing previously was all music I can remember Ray Clark who was the general secretary and he was like you know they, they never had to make any decisions in the past because it was all like Mickey Duff and co suddenly I got to start making some decisions about dates clashing and things like that and I can remember sitting at he was right by the way but I can remember sitting at ringside I'm old now they were like my age whatever and they all got their fingers in their ears while this music's Blair, what the, I can't hear what we're saying. What's 
So the genesis was all very quick because we. What well, we you've only got a short space of time. Yeah. Look, it's not like today on. Like, you know, you've got at, hours to. You've got fill. hours to fill. That's why we. I mean, when we started doing the shows with with Sky, it was a big culture shock for me because it's all precision, precision, and maybe if something runs short, you've got some of the undercard ready to go in, or you've got some something in the can to film, you know, to to play out. Um, so. And then we have getting these big gaps because you know how it works. They want to talk about this and that, and the, and the fans are getting restless. They're sitting; they can't hear what you're, me, and you are talking about. Mm. So then we started doing, yeah, you know, we'll put some music. Let's get the sweet Caroline stuff, and getting them all singing and all the different songs, and that's how we how all that start getting the audience involved. So that was late seventies, early eighties, then that whole period. Uh, that was the eighties, yeah, yeah, into the eighties. That was into well, the 80s, yeah, yeah, in the eighties. And then. obviously now, so we're beyond forty years past that. What are the biggest changes, the biggest rocks you've seen that have changed from back then? I mean, you talk about the advertising and the, the time to, to fill, but how, how different is it now? I think it, the it? most, I think the same with life at the moment is social media and how people digest what or watch what is uh, being broadcast, how they watch it. Do they watch it on their phones? Do they watch it on TV? I think the thing about boxing and live sport is that you don't want to know the result. You don't want to record it. You want to see it live so you're going to invariably watch it on TV. The Zone know that now. I mean, they started off saying, no, we, you know, we're not going to do it that way. And then they've obviously changed their thing now with pay-per-view and so forth. I'm going to be the Netflix of boxing. There's no Netflix of boxing. Boxing is a live sport. Netflix, I can watch a film anytime I like. I want to watch George in the ring fighting James DeGale. I want to watch it live. And I got to tune in live, and that is the beauty of our sport. That's what our sport's all about. There's no sport like it. Football match, you get beat, you play a game in the week and next week. Boxing, it could be a start of a great career or an end of a career, or you know, or maybe not. Maybe two guys like, in, as I just mentioned, in George and James's case, they both went off and won world titles. But there's no sport like it. It's a unique sport. There is nothing like it. At the heart of it, though, you've still got two guys having a fight in the middle. Yeah, so that's, what it's, that's it. what it's all about. I mean, yeah. forget all the stuff. I mean, at the end of the day, what you're not paying to watch ring card girls or advertising or listen to the promoter. What you're paying for what's is what's in the ring. What you're subscribing for or whatever you want to do, buying your ticket, is what's in the ring. And that is all that matters. What's your favourite part, Frank, of being a promoter? The night of the fight. Can you enjoy the yeah, boxing on the night? I always enjoy I don't get, you know, a couple of times I've had, you know, sat there and I say got nervous, but, you know, especially if the decision, I think if my guy's won, it goes the other way, then that don't sit yeah. too well. but, that's, but that's, I'm a bad loser. That don't happen so, on your shows, yeah. is it, Frank? Don't let that happen. I'm a bad loser. No, you won that fight. I'm a bad loser. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bad loser. So I think at the end of the day, it's, uh, you know, it's uh, that's what I enjoy about it because that's what it is. That's what the sport is. That's what we're doing it for at the end of the day to, to, to make an event happen. You know, there's a lot of people judge boxing and look at it and look at the various people's parts in it, you know, because it's such a dangerous sport and what the mm. dangers are to, to people and maybe long-term dangers to, uh, to the participants. But um, it would happen anyway. We see it. Now. I mean, when I started out, everyone was saying it's underground boxing, it's terrible. Now it's white collar, blue collar. Uh, they're not having scans, not having anything done. And it's accepted as a norm by everybody. I think, wasn't it one of uh, Prince William's uh, mates fault or one of them fault? They, they went to the show in an unlicensed show. So it's all, all that stuff's all accepted now, but it's not fulfilling the criteria of what should be the main thing for boxers. And that's their health. That's the regular monitoring of, of everything they do, especially their, as regarding brain and various other aspects. And that is the most important thing. I always say, like coming from where I came from and what I see with guys, they weren't fighting for any money. There's no big money they were fighting for these guys in these unlicensed shows. 
or then become the NBC shows. They weren't massive money from them. They were doing it because they wanted a fight. There lies the problem. It's like Danny Williams. He wants to fight. He keeps going around the world. What is he now? He must be hitting nearly 50. Shouldn't be fighting. Lovely fella. I looked after him and he went off and next, and he's, he's still doing this. And because and he's got that win over Mike Tyson on his record, people are bringing him in to fight the local prospect. That should not be happening. It's totally wrong. But no one, no one can stop it because there's no uniformity or union as far as the medical aspects of the sport goes with the various commissions and governing bodies. There is no, there's not a FIFA. There's nothing like that. And that's part of the problem. Do you think there ever will be? No, there should be. You do be. not want to run at it. No, Something you're passionate about. And I you, am passionate about it. I mean, you, you know, when they brought MRIs out, they couldn't do it. I mean, most people couldn't, most boxers couldn't afford them. They were very, especially back then, they were very mm. expensive. So I remember at the time, we was talking to, you know, saying, right, we should, let's all get together and pay for them. Once you've got an MRI, you now got a basis to see what is happening with the boxer's brain. This skull x-ray thing was just a joke because your skull apparently can change thickness if you've got a cold, for example, which I never knew about that till then, but things like that. So what happened was um, one person wanted to get involved, a guy called Patsy Lehman, who's a trainer, he put a thousand pounds in and I paid for all the boxers, all the licensed boxers to have their uh, MRIs. No one else did within the sport. It was I was quite shocked, but at least we got it going. We got it up and running. When... We had the problems that, you know, when uh, Nigel Benn, for example, when he fought McClellan, that night, maybe it's premonition, I don't know, we put on extra doctors and extra ambulance. Thank God we did. We did that, did it that night. And that then became, we said that should be the norm. That's how it should be. You know, and obviously people who are running a show, I don't know, like myself, I used to run small shows like York, I still do it, York Core places, you know, well, I am I going to afford this and stuff. You know what? Then don't do it. That's how it is. Don't do it. You either, if you're going to do it, you've got, you got to make sure you've got the, the, the cares there. And I've seen lots of things over the years and the way people lose weight. You know, going back to the days of seeing guys training with bin bags wrapped around them to sweat off, sitting in saunas now as they do. Now they're taking diuretics uh, and all these infusions and stuff. It's just dreadful, some of the stuff that's going on now nowadays. You know, the PED situation's got to be sorted out as well. That's a, something that's cropped up in your time in boxing PEDs yeah I mean it never you know I can't remember I mean boxers got tested regularly very few boxers were caught or found out or had taken PEDs lots of other sports like you know Tour de France athletics over the years were all getting regularly caught always someone at the Olympics and so forth getting caught no boxers I don't believe back in those days were ever getting caught and they were being tested the same as all the other le- athletes for any PEDs now it's just uh, it seems they're all on them it's dreadful. We've seen we've seen what happened with a situation with Conor Ben recently, which was pretty damning for boxing. The way that was all conducted, that scenario being played out in front of the public when everyone looks at it and thinks, you know what, this is a bastard sport. Look how they behave. Look at the regu- look at the, the regulators. And eventually the board did step up and stops it. Then they were told they were going to be sued the next day and whatever, and being forced to put it on. And that's the way and I used the law a lot when I was you know, especially the early days, but not for somebody's health. All that was going on. And in the meantime, everybody knew that, it, that uh, there was a failed test a couple of months previous. It's totally wrong. And that has got to be sorted out. Otherwise, the sport will go down the pan. Is it harder to do a deal with a fighter or with a TV network or even with a venue? And what what have been them wins? What what's, what what would be the one that you think 
I didn't ever think I'd get that over the line, and I did. At the end of the day, it's got to make sense financially. That's the point of it, and you know, and everybody's got to accept there's a pot, and there's only so much in the pot. And some people just don't accept that. They say, "Well, I'd pay for you. It's going to get millions. It's going to. I'm going to earn this and that. This is what I want." Well, if it's going to get all this money on pay per view, then take a percentage, like everybody else does. Books are open. Go to the TV company. We'll go there together, and you've got your percentage and so forth, and go from there. And most boxers don't want that. They want the guarantee. But they're telling us it's going to be the biggest event ever. And you can't have it both ways. That's very frustrating sometimes. What boxers don't maybe know their true true worth or maybe over... I don't think sometimes. I think, it's, I think it's people get, some people get round fighters and they don't... They're not boxing people. They just got in their eyes. It, you know, I mean, I, I've had it where... Well, I, I, actually, I'm not going to say the boxer's name. I remember a fighter. He was fighting for a world title. He wasn't a very well-known name or anything. And I think I offered him back then about 100 grand for the fight, which for, for, for him was a lot of... You know, for the fight, what it was going to draw was a lot of money. He wanted... I think it was 400 grand back then. I said, it's impossible. Where's it going to come from? We, we, and we go through all this thing. And it wasn't pay-per-view, by the way. I said, this is... <laughs> the license fee is what it is. You know, how are we going to make this work? Anyway, went on and on. And I said, well, I can't do the deal. So he said, I want to bring my lawyer up. So he brings his lawyer up and the lawyer sits down with him. So he's, the lawyer said, well, give him something extra. Just make something. And he's like really saying to me, give him, you know, he said, give him something. He said, give him 10 grand extra. So I said to the boss, I said, what are you paying him? He said, 10% of my purse. I said, well, if I'll give you 10 grand, you've just lost a thousand pounds. He's getting 11,000 pounds out of the, you know, so how are we going to make this work? And you get, there's no thought. It's just, a, it's just looking at the top number, not looking at whatever and not looking at the true value of the event. And, and of course, I'm, you know, we're running a business and we've got to make sure it works and we've got to make sure the numbers stack up and we've got to do the best we can. And sometimes I'm managing a fighter that actually I'm promoting. So it's a conflict of interest as such. But for me, I've always felt it's a conflict of interest where I will, from my perspective, I will pay more money because I'm doing that and I won't take the management commission. What did you prefer, George? A set fee or a cut? Depends what the set fee was. <laughs> Not to go into details of the, the on, deal I had with, with Frank. No, but we did a set fee deal when I signed with Frank and that was after. So I'd boxed James DeGale on a Frank Warren card where he promoted James DeGale and then um, signed with him. Well, you won <laughs> the he was fight. A, it was, yeah, won the fight and um, British champion now. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was a good deal. Really, really good deal. So yeah, so that'll do. Yeah. Have you ever come unstuck like big time? Have you ever, have you ever- What money wise? Yeah, like if you, You've gone in, yeah. on, gone in big on a fight and gone. Yeah, and done me brains. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have. Yeah. Can you tell us any? One of Naz's fights made good money. Naz made good money. We made maybe one of his fights. I think for um, Billy Hardy was it the fellow from the North Feast? Yeah, it was Billy Hardy, and we'd done our brains on that. I mean, a lot of money back then. No, seven figures we lost. I think that was the first time I ever saw you, Frank, was as a kid promoting Nazi Mohammed in the ring with Steve Robinson, and then you just had a look on your face as this is going to be big. This is going to be good. You got someone like Naz who's just box office, yeah? But he wasn't. When he came to me, he'd had about six or seven fights. He'd been with Matram and he'd been with Mickey Duff. And I met him. And I never used to get on really that well with um, Brendan Ingle. Going back to something when late Ernie Fossey, they had a fallout and Ernie's my pal, so I'm, you know, I'm sort of- You inherited the fallout, yeah. 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 <laughs> and he came down with him. I remember he came down to my house- and he was, I think, what was he, about 18, something like that. I'm just, just over 18. And he sat there 
and he was so he just it was just like a jumping bean he couldn't sit still for a minute and brendan's like you know brendan's hey, this kids be you know he's, every fighter he's got is not the best fighter in the world and all that stuff i knew he could fight a bit i felt fancied he could fight a bit but i just didn't feel he'd been promoted i knew i could you know when you know you get off i know i can do something here with it mm. and uh, we done a deal his first fight we did was up in sheffield we didn't sell out up there, but, you know, it was a start. And Where he was from as well. ITV didn't want to, were not really, that. I had really, Bob Burrows, who was at Thames Television, he was the boss then of it. And uh, I said to him, please do it. I want you to do it, you know, because they owed me, you know, I've done a lot of business with them, obviously, and I've done a, done a lot of big shots. I said, I need, you need to do this for me. So I said, I don't want no money for it. Don't pay me for the show. I said, but if, you, if he, we get a good viewing figure, you are going to pay me more than you think you, you know, than you think you could get away. I said, next time round, I'm going to hold your feet to the fire. Anyway, put the fight on. Didn't get a big crowd in Ponds Falls. We weren't a big venue. They put him on at 11.30 at night. So there was no show comes on at 11.30. So he didn't, probably didn't start doing his ring walk till 11.35. And it hit six and a half million viewers, which is a massive viewing figure for that time of night. And then we was off to the races. He was great to promote. I mean, he got it and there was no hangers on. We've been sort of like, I don't know, about six or seven fights. There were more people in the dressing room than in the venue. And all the advisors all come out of the woodwork and the usual bullshit and that. What are the, uh, what are the low points then, Frank, of promoting? Is it your box again? Losing beat? money. Losing money is the key. Is the, <laughs> no, is- no. I'll tell you what the low points are. It's when you get, I mean, I quite like getting involved with guys, you know, when they're young and guiding their careers is when, you know, if it doesn't happen for them, because obviously it's a massive, massive disappointment for them because, you know, they, especially they're getting, you know, they're getting the, the sort of star treatment. It goes wrong for them. And then, then it's a, you know, suddenly where's my career gone? You know, where's my source of living gone? And you get, and that sorts the men out from the boys to come again. If it's a great fight, you know, and it doesn't go our way, as long as they've done their best, that's all they can do. No, I think, I think that's really it. It's, you know, disappointing when you start off with guys and they, you guide them through and they, and it's like, I suppose it's like kids leaving home sometimes, you know, they, we're, I'm off, I'm going to do my own thing. And a couple of them have done that. Like Nigel did it. Naz did it. Nigel in his book said he wish he never had left. Naz, I think he'd done a documentary and on Sky and said he should never have gone. But the grass is always greener. And it's greener because there's plenty of people putting bullshit on it. And that's what happens. Another person who came back, James DeGale. So obviously, you he was your guy in the build-up to that yeah. fight. So he obviously won the Olympic gold medal. You signed him. He gets a big push. But then you got George Groves, who's the, the amateur guy, who's beating him as the amateur, but coming up a different way. And the board mandate the fight. But can you recall back then? You went, okay. And and obviously, they're, what were you, 12 and 13, you know, you two? They were both undefeated. Yeah, undefeated guys. So... There would be an argument, but some promoters might go, let's not do this. They wouldn't have done it. No, but you went, no, we're going to do it. Yeah, and I don't think it's it's still the right thing to do. And I think both the guys have done well. I mean, look what they both 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 won on one world titles. But, you know, James won the gold medal. And I think I I signed him, Billy Joe Saunders, Frankie Gavin, three of them. And they had really good deals. And we were on Satanta at the time done the deal and I remember I was in the restaurant with Trevor East who was the you know head of sport and handled the boxing on uh, Satanta and we were in this restaurant in the West End Chaconis and uh, he got a call he said I've got to just pop back to the office and we and the fight's on we're, we're doing the deal now we're doing the deal I played them I've got them all they've all got their licenses and uh, you know a couple of us with us just put the food on the side and we'll have it we'll have a couple of drinks because he was good, weren't going to be long half hour an hour and in the end I'm ringing no one can get through so we had our food and that was it anyway about four o'clock was having a drink and he said um 
they've gone into liquidation. <laughs> I like, what? He said they got into liquidation. I went with you to, that was it. So did got, you promote oh. on Satanta? You did promote on Satanta because yeah, you had you there for a while. Yeah, thing. we did. Um, we did Macanelli. Hey, Macanelli was Satanta, wasn't it? Yeah. Big fight that was. That was the biggest ever rating they got for any fight. We did a lot of fights on there, a lot of good fights on there. And uh, anyway, that was so. So we're sitting. Well, right, in the end, I phoned up Vic Wakelin, who's passed away now. He was at Sky, and I said to him, "Listen," he went, "Yeah, we'll do something." I said, "Listen, just get it on for me." He said, "It's too. We can't." get a deal done I said just get it on for me on the date because it was already on salary and just get it on down and he said we've got to put something in a contract he said I've got to, I can't just do it their debut I got paid one pound the Magnificent Seven the contractual was for a pound yeah, but a big, it went well worth it. A good fight yeah it went James well James got boot but that, I think that was over um, what was his name the guy from the Midlands they didn't like him over something he beat something that happened up there mm. but he shouldn't have got boot he boxed strange. well yeah. what do you look for in a fighter then do you see their marketability or do you see their boxing talent or do, do you rely on have you got advisors or just friends or contacts that you'll go, oh, if he backs this fighter, then yeah, all right, he can fight because such and such says he can fight. Or do you go on their amateur accolades? Or as I say, is it a bit of star appeal? First of all, I've got to be able to fight because it's pointless otherwise. You know, it's pretty pointless. So what do, I, what do I look for? I mean, I going back when I first started, you could only go and watch the guys as amateurs or might get a bit on TV, but there were no videos, nothing like that. You made a fight for someone, you never had any video footage of them. You know, you had to be really careful and trust people that you were working with. I'll get people call me. Obviously, they call me, you know, we've got this one and he may use me for a stalking horse to go elsewhere or vice versa. I like to meet them. I want to talk to them. I want to see where they're at. And then uh, I'll make a decision. When we signed Joe Joyce, we, I bought his contract, Joe Joyce. No one wanted to know him. His promoters didn't. It was Richard Schaefer who was his promoter at the time. And they just wanted to be out of it. And I invested in it. I thought it'd be a good fight of him and Daniel Dubois down the road. A bit like, you know, you, mm -hmm. yourself, you had with uh, Degal. But you, you, you feel that there's, you, you either feel there's something there. You feel that, they, that, you know, they can fight. I remember we made that fight for you, was it? Uh, that we brought the... The guy over when you fought the copper box. Yeah, Glenn Johnson. Glenn Johnson. Yeah, I fancied that for my life. I know a lot of people were saying you, it was madness. I really, it was a tough fight, but I, mm. I really knew you would do a job on him. You know, look at fights, you think, are they capable? What, what have they got? What can they do? Invariably, I would say I'd like to think about at least 80% of the time you get it right. Obviously, there are times where you get it wrong. I mean, I, I, I've. <laughs> yeah, have you got a pyramid scheme where you're like, right, I've got, I'm going to sign 20 fighters. I need two of them to come world champions. No, I don't do football that. clubs don't, like don't, that. Don't do that. Don't mm. do that. No, I'm not interested in that because you want them all to everything you're champion. doing, you're investing in. Mm. Mm. You know, you're giving them a slot, a valuable slot on the show. And it is a valuable slot now because they, most of the fights are being seen. So it's a valuable slot. You know, some of them don't come through. And sometimes you might, you know, Somebody you work with, you do them a favour. They got one fight. You got you, if you put him on. I want to. Can you get him on as well and that sort of thing? Get that and understand that. But you know, invariably, I think we're pretty good at developing and bringing bringing young talent through. You know, really, and and guys who didn't win Olymp Olympic medals didn't go to the games. Now, Joe Kawasaki never won a, a medal. Naz never won any Olympics. Didn't go to Olympics. You go all the way through them. There's loads of them like that. Ricky Hatton. None of them done anything like that. You know, even with like the last show, which was a good show, we did a couple weeks ago with Anthony Yard. He had 11 amateur fights, but I fancied him. When I, I see, see a little bit of video footage and met him and I knew, you know, if he was handled 
properly. You can't just throw him in the deep end. He's only just had that amount of fights, but get him some experience. I need to be capable of challenging for a world title. And he's very unlucky not to have won one against the one in, in, uh, in Russia when he went to Russia. Have there been anyone, those guys notwithstanding, who you thought, take a punt on him, but I'm not really sure, and he surprised you, and he set the world on a light, and years down the line, he's won everything and made you a load of money? There are, but I can't think. <laughs> I can't think. Does it ever happen where their following is such that you're like, I need to have a bit of this guy, even if you might yeah, not think he's, so. he's yeah, any good? Yeah, 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 there are a couple of guys like that. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's been a few like that who've got you know good following and they can fight a little bit, but you know, you've know got to look at what are their limitations, where they're going to go, and you've got to match them, right? And at the end of the day, what does every fighter want to do? They want to fight and win a world title. You, you know, you've got to pick your right moment and time and, and you know you have to work your way through it. You're saying about fighters who done better you know Danny was a funny guy he, I mean he pulled he tried to pull out of a fight in a dressing room at York Court one and then he goes and fights Mark Potter with his arm out his socket and I'm telling the corner pull him out don't you he's got his arms just hanging down pull him out pull him out and then he wallop he throws the right hand and knocks him knocks out Mark you know you never know what's going to happen and then, he, then from there we just went on with him and I made the fight with uh, Mike Tyson for him no one gave him an earthly and I, I, I remember sit, we sat and spoke and spoke I said you will beat him I'm telling you oh, you're going to have to stand vintage Mike Tyson for about a round and a half I said then it'll be your fight and uh, that's what happened he didn't get paid. They knocked him for his money and I, I paid him. I paid his purse. In closing in this first part, so Frank, we're trying to promote this pod. Now we've got Hall of Frame promoter, almost 50 years of experience in the club. How do you promote a product? How do you get people interested? What do we need to do? I just promote it. You promote it by making it interesting, by talking about a sport, because invariably, who's ever listening to this, they're going to be boxing nuts. So you get that. You've got to get them interested. And they obviously want to hear, like everyone, what's happening behind the scenes, what's going on. And people who talk sensible boxing. I mean, there's a lot of podcasts around at the moment. And some of them are a bit iffy. But this is a very good podcast. And you've done, you guys have done extremely well. And, uh, and you're obviously going to build a big following with it. But that's, that's the key. And it, you could have a, lot, a very good boxer knows what he's doing. But unless he's promoted correctly, he might as well not bother. Correct. What do we do? What do you product? do? You get Mike. Yeah, get, who, who'd you get? You get Tyson Fury in here and it'll fly through the room. Yeah, that's very true. The very first podcast I did, because I, I did a one for a while, I got Tyson. That's, that was it. That's, let's launch it and we've done it with Tyson. Mm. We're working on Tyson. Yeah, yeah. Way, yeah. If you're watching. <laughs> <laughs> let's have a quick breather because you Good. know what we got in the second part? We've got um, the best feature we've, we've got, ever done. We've got the best feature. It's you bit- against Frank. All right, then. So look out. Play yourself. There we go, Dick. We'll pause that there because guess who's just nipped out to do a deal? Yeah, go on. Frank's just we out right. on the phone. That hopefully he comes back for part two. If he doesn't, we're screwed. But if he does, we got plenty more. And do you know what we got, George? This gen- genuinely is the best feature we've I'm ever really done. excited it's about a word this smash. Let's hope he comes back because it's burning a hole in my pocket, that feature. Hello, friends. George and Deck here. Hello. Quick one from us. There's a new podcast from Crowd Sports that we're really excited about and want to share with you all. Yes, it's called Captains and it's presented by former Wales and British Lions captain Sam Warburton. Sam will be speaking to elite captains and leaders from a whole range of sports. I wonder if we'll have a boxer on. Actually, that's a good point. Is there any role in boxing, George, that resembles a captain or anything like that? Does anyone spring to mind? I'm thinking your old gaffer, Shane McGuigan. That's a trainer, isn't it? That's yeah. a trainer option. Fighter. Well, you've got Dillian White and you've got Anthony Joshua, who are both fighters, but both have an array of fighters underneath their professional yeah. banner. So are they a captain? Yeah. 
Anthony Joshua is either captain of British boxing. He seems like it at one point, maybe not so much anymore. Anyway, getting off topic. Captain shares the stories, insights and experiences of world-class sports people and explores how they succeeded and the obstacles they overcame. So whether you're looking for motivation or life's lessons or you just love a good story, this is the podcast for you. We'll play you the trailer now and to find the full podcast, you can hit the link in the episode description or search for Captains with Sam Warburton in your favourite podcast app right about now. You should do it. It is really good. It's a banger. I'm Sam Warburton and this is Captains, a new podcast that gives you the inside story on how the most successful teams come together, grow and ultimately win. I know I'm not the best golfer ever played the game. I know I'm not the best captain that ever captains, but I do feel that like I moved it to a new level. Each episode, I speak to the biggest names in sport as we compare notes and share stories about what it's really like to wear the armband at the highest level. I was dead behind the eyes. I never thought I'd play for England again, let alone captain them again. And that for me was darkest I ever got. We'll hear about the good times, just before I lifted the trophy, I closed my eyes and then lift it and sometimes I do reflect and I think, did it really happen? <laughs> and the bad. One of the only times I've ever broken down, just cried in, in the interview. Armband on, headphones in. Listen to Captains with me, Sam Warburton, on your favourite podcast app.